Well, I know Pastor has been doing a series. And when he asked me if I was sharing, he told me the series he'd been doing. I was like, okay, that's a little deep for, you know, uh, for a couple of weeks preparation. And uh, not that I can't go deep, but I'm a children's pastor. So I'm used to you make it simple, right? It's simple. And the gospel is actually very simple. But uh, I was relieved when he said, but you don't have to do the series. You just, you know, do whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Whew, that's good, right? <laughs> because now I can speak from the heart and, and um, what the Lord is, is dealing with me also in my own personal life uh, during this season of life. So I want to share with you, I consider it more to be probably like a little bit of a long devotional. Um, and encourage you uh, tonight from what the Lord has been speaking to me in my personal life throughout the last couple of years in this season that we're in, right? Um, as the church, as people, as in the world and the things that are going on. Uh, I was praying um, a few weeks ago as I was in prayer uh, and just praying over the church, praying over you and praying over people that I knew and feeling the heaviness of what's going on in our day and age. How many of you feel that heaviness? <laughs> we feel the heaviness of illness, of political situations, of economical situations, of problems and trials and uh, the weight of it. It's, it is a heaviness. It's not just, you know, a passing thing that comes and goes. And, and we all know that life is, is trials, that there are, uh, there's sickness and there's ups and downs. And, um, but lately it seemed like there's a lot more downs. It seems like everything's kind of just spiraling down very fast. And I feel like that people in general in the world are, are kind of in a state of shock, you know, since, since COVID, basically. Since COVID, so much has happened around that virus, around that, and because of that, and then other things happening in life. And it feels like it's just heavier and heavier. There's no other way to say it. It's just heavy. It's a heaviness that you feel. Almost like you've been, you were running a race, I don't run. I have dreams sometimes that I'm running and I don't do it very well. Because <laughs> I can't, my, my husband likes to run. And uh, I, I can't. If I jog, I get cramps, I, get, I, I feel pain. I mean, and I, just, I just don't do it. And I say that, that no pain, no gain, but I don't want that kind of gain. So I just don't do it. Um, and there's a proverb about running. I don't remember what it is right now. But anyway, the wicked run or something like that. So, uh, but it, it kind of is like that. You're running and the Bible says we're running a race. You pick up the baton, you're running a race. And, and you know, you might get tired. You not, might get weary every now and then. You know, you get winded. Oh, but you keep going, right? And you can pick it up because, you know, you run and you're ready for this. But, but it's almost like in this race that not only did you get winded, but you got hit hard. And then you get hit again. And then your body just gets so heavy and it's like, wait a minute, am I running a race? What, what is happening? And you feel this heaviness. Like, it's not supposed to be like this. Like, I thought I was ready for it. I thought I was prepared for it. I thought I knew and I was equipped to deal with these things. But all of a sudden, it feels like it's too much. You know, we always say the Lord won't put on more than you can handle. Um, but sometimes it feels like it is. Sometimes it feels like it's too much, especially right now in this season that we're in not only individually in our lives, but corporately as we look at the church, capital C, and then church here, our own church. There's heaviness. There's been loss and, and there's been tragedy that sometimes it might feel is, how can we bear this? And I feel like people in general are, are in that state of shock. Like, where do we go from here? And we look around and we look at churches where the numbers are fewer and people stopped coming and we say, well, you know, they, they can't come or because of COVID they're afraid to come. And, and some of those are legitimate things for people. But some of it 
in reality, if we think about it, there's probably some people who've given up. They've given up because they're in a state of shock. And they're thinking, you know, it's not supposed to happen this way. We love God. We serve God. We pray. We fast. We seek Him. The prophet said this and that about, it's not supposed to happen this way. So if it's not supposed to happen that way, then God has failed. So why am I going to go to church if it's not working? Why am I going to go and pray if it didn't work? Why? Why? What's the difference? Those are real questions. And I think they're questions that people are afraid to confront. And I think it's a reality that people are afraid to confront. We don't want to confront. So we don't say anything. So people are missing. And we say, well, it's this or that. Well, maybe it's because they've lost faith. Maybe it's because they gave in to doubt. And we all doubt. We all have those moments. We're like, God, I prayed. Why didn't you, why didn't you do it? But I think that for many of us, for many people in our, in our society, in our world today especially, there's been too many prayers that we feel like have gone unanswered. We feel like the answer was the wrong answer. And I think it's because we might lack an understanding of really what God is doing. And we say God is not working, God is not moving, but it's not that he's not working, it's not that he's not moving, it's that God is moving in his way for his purpose, for his kingdom work. And if we think about it, there's many young people, many generations of, of young people these days who are not rooted and grounded in the word of God. And if we're not rooted and grounded in the word of God, we're not going to understand what is happening in the world in a spiritual way. And because of that, we walk away. Because the gospel, the popular gospel, the cultural gospel that is preached here in the United States of America, as a missionary I say it that way because there's a gospel that we preach here that is popular, that is trendy, that is convenient, that is, you know, scratching the itch, but it's not giving people a firm foundation. And people are turning away because they don't know what to do when reality sinks in. You know, we've got our books about living our best life now. But that's not really necessarily the life that God intended us to be, to live. I believe, in, I believe that you will prosper. I believe you will have favor. I believe in God's presence. I believe in his blessings. I've lived it. I am very blessed with so many things, that, much more than I've seen people in India or people in El Salvador and other countries I've been have. I'm blessed. But that is not the goal. And it's not always the way that we think it is as Americans in our culture. So what do we do then? What do we do then when everything we've been told and we believed in, that, that you know, and there's sometimes this sense of entitlement that we have, that I've been good and I've prayed and I've done this, so God is supposed to do this, but he hasn't, so then I turn away. And then everything else falls apart even more. There's depression, there's chaos, there's sickness that is rampant. There's, there's no hope in the turning away. So how do we reconcile that? I was, so as I was praying, I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling heavy. I was feeling the heaviness of the people I was praying for. I was feeling the heaviness of my own family. 
because as many of you know, some of you know, my, my daughter Amelia has been suffering in her body and she's had blood test after blood test and there's been scares of what's it gonna, what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be arthritis? Is it gonna be uh, cancer? Is it gonna be something chronic that she's gonna have to deal with the rest of her life or what's it gonna be? And we still don't have the exact answer. But she's been having these aches and pains and numbness and things in her body and keeping me up at night and, and suffering and, and having behavior issues because of it and being depressed and discouraged. And, and her own words, why doesn't God heal me? Praying's not working. And to hear my daughter say that, man, it cuts. It cuts. It's like hard. And I say, baby, you, you know, you're right. I, I don't know why God's not answering I say, and, I, and I encourage her and I say, because I have been a Christian myself, I've known Jesus for 37 years. And it's hard for me to say that because I remember how old I am. But I've known him and I've known his faithfulness. I came to know him out of brokenness. I came to know him from a dysfunctional family. I came to know him to be more than someone, you know, who was going to change my situation. Like come to Jesus and everything's going to get good. It didn't get good. Dad was still gone. There were still trials to suffer. There was still, you know, a lot to go through as a teenager. But I had a relationship with my Lord. I knew him. I knew him. And I, I knew his love in my heart that superseded anything physical, material, or anything. Even bringing my dad back to my mom. It was better than that. You know, and I, I told, I, I just said to my daughter, I said, I don't know, baby, but I know God is greater than this. And sometimes when we go through the trials, it increases our faith. We have to hold on to him because if we turn, the opposite of turning away is worse. Our hearts get cold and bitter and hard and we don't want to go down that path. But I was praying and thinking about it and, and uh, praying about her and, and, and God said, the devil's playing chicken with you. I'm simple. You know, I felt in my heart, the Lord said that he's just playing chicken. And the Lord said, don't play chicken with the devil. That's the title I have on this message. Don't play chicken with the devil. Now, how do you play chicken? Have you ever played chicken? I have never played chicken. You know, in the car, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's where I'm going with it. You know, how you've seen in movies or whatever where, you know, there's somebody playing chicken. And is that what they call it? Because some of y'all looking at me like I'm confused. Like, I don't know. I'm doing it. Right. Anyway, in the car. I got the race car, one was coming, vroom, vroom, vroom. the other one's on the other side, and I think, okay, who is going to turn off the path first? Who's going to get scared and turn away first? And I thought, God, that's really strange. Is that just me or whatever? So I had to think about it. I thought, well, it does make sense, because he's sitting there, you know, not even in a car, just the devil is sitting in our path. It's like he got right in front of us, and he's saying, ha, I got you now. Where's God? You think you're going to follow God? You think you're going to keep your faith? Everything's falling apart? I dare you. I dare you, because I got you. And we look around at the world and we think, gosh, the devil's winning. He's got COVID. He's got the, you know, the economy, the politics, he's, the immorality, the destruction of marriage, you know, the corruption of what marriage is supposed to be, and, 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 and you know, the, the trafficking, human trafficking, and all the, the, the ways that children are suffering, and what they're doing to our kids, and we look around at everything, and the people dying, and all of this, and the, the prayers that have gone unanswered that we think, and, and the things that have happened, and we think, man, the devil sure is winning. But God says, he's just playing chicken. He's just trying to stand in your face. And the Lord told me, he said, Marie, you know I got this. He's playing chicken. He's trying to get my people off the path that I've called them to. But you just keep walking on through and he's going to get out of the way because he already lost. Do we get this? Do we get this? He has already lost. He is a loser. 
And no matter what happens in my life, the Bible already says it, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I win because he won. Even if I die, I, I, want, I, I want even more, right? I want even more. Because the Lord knows if I keep on living, maybe I'll fall away from him or whatever happens, you know. My mom, four years ago, she was 60, she was about to turn 66, two days before her birthday. Oh, man, I love my mom. My dad left when I was 12. He's somewhere, but that's a long story. I'm not close to my dad. My mom, a woman of faith, a woman of God, single mom, worked hard. God bless you, my stepdad. He's going to come Friday and help out uh, with the, the fall festival. He lives in Tampa. I'm from Tampa. So she got sick in May of 2017. She'd been sick with thyroid issues, rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, all kinds of stuff. And uh, they were doing tests on her, and, and uh, she started getting jaundice. She was yellow all the time. And they couldn't figure out what it was. And uh, the doctor's a good friend of mine uh, who was her doctor. And um, she was running tests on her and did a PET scan, uh, and it revealed she had a Klatskin's tumor in her bile duct. She had a tumor, May 1st, 2017. Brought us in the office and told us, what's the diagnosis? Is it stage four? Wasn't even a stage. There's nothing we could do. Took her to oncologist, took her to see, nothing. Nothing, no treatment, nothing. What's the prognosis? A couple months. Shock, shock. And I, I went, I was at Bethel, the church in Tampa, I, was, I had an office there, I was doing a different kind of ministry there at that time, but I went to the office and I just started crying. I said, God, I don't know if I can survive losing my mom. I don't know if my faith in you can, uh, my relationship with you. I was afraid I was gonna get mad at God. I was like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do this. I really didn't, I was scared. I'd lost my grandmother, that was my other rock. I loved, adored my grandmother, I lost her. I was in India when she passed away. And uh, I lost the best friend also. I, lost, I felt like I lost so much. I'm like, now you're taking my mom away? She's so young. My daughter's adored, adored my mom. Nana, they miss Nana. They still cry for Nana. But God said, she wins either way. She wins either way. And she, she died July 21st, 2017. It was hard, but you know what? Jesus carried me. He said, she win. She won. She wins. You can grieve her, you can miss her, but you're gonna see her again. She wins. The people who've gone on before us, they're there in Christ, they won. We will see them again. We will see them again. There is victory for us. It is secure, it is done, so the devil is standing right there trying to discourage us in our flesh with the things that we see all around us and get us off track, get us sidetracked, get us depressed, get us down and discouraged and get us to stop moving forward for the kingdom because the kingdom work is still real. Do you know there's still people, these empty seats represent somebody, and there's even more of that, people who need to know Jesus. They're lost. Now more than ever lost and confused. There's kingdom work to do. So the devil is playing chicken and he's trying to stop us. But we've got to stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7 to 11. I want to read that. Sorry, I didn't have the slides. I told them myself. Maybe you didn't notice, but it's that slide. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that it, the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. 
We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life, the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I saw hope all over that. Do you see hope all over that? The hope is that I'm given over, you think, death, persecuted, beaten, da-da-da-da. But then it says that the life of Christ might live in our mortal flesh. How is the divine Christ, the Son of God, who, who lived in the flesh but was perfect, how is he going to live in me unless I die to my flesh? Unless I take up my cross. And it is a cross. The cross was never meant to be an ornament. It was never meant to be just a symbol. I mean, it is a symbol, but sometimes we just wear it. It's an ornament. It's pretty. You know, I went to Texas, and how many of y'all been in Texas? Anybody from Texas? So we lived there for three years, and in almost every home, they had a, and they were beautiful, a wall of crosses, decorative, all kinds of different kinds of crosses, almost every home. We don't do that here, right? I mean, I'd never seen them. I was like, this is a Texas thing, y'all. And they just love their beautiful crosses, and they're beautiful. But it's not meant to be just something on the wall. The cross itself that Jesus died on was not beautiful at all. It was thorny. It was painful. It was heavy. It means death. Dying to my flesh. But if I die to myself, he doesn't just say I'm going to take your life. See, this is where people get confused in the world. And people think that it doesn't work. Like, well, I have to die to this. I have to die to, to, to my sexual sin. I've got to die to all those relationships. I've got to give up all these things. And I'm just not going to do it. They don't realize what they're getting. And I think sometimes in the church we fall short because we don't tell people, yes, you're going to give all that up, but here's what you're going to gain. The life of Jesus Christ living in you and through you to be the hope of others who need that. Yeah. One, another thing that one of my daughters said to me uh, recently, a few weeks ago, she was talking about prayer because she's, this is charisma now, she's been having migraines, uh, off and on headaches, and and. Uh, I'm talking about prayer and, and, and I'm telling her to pray for herself and encouraging her. I said, Mommy can pray for you, but do you pray for yourself? She says, well, and God doesn't really speak to me. I want God to talk to me. I said, well, Charisma, do you really spend time talking to God? No. Have you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible every day? Well, no. Well, if you're not listening, how's he going to talk? Sometimes it takes a while to hear from God. You know, and we want to do these beginning, beginning and ending prayers and thank you for the meal and all this stuff and real fast, quick stuff. And, and hey, we need to do that. But sometimes you've got to pause and really listen. You've got to give them the opportunity. You've got to set yourself up for God to actually speak to you and to reveal himself. And that's what he wants to do. But some people don't realize that. They don't realize that. They think when they come to God, it's going to be pour out the blessing, give me, give me, give me, yes, Lord, I receive. But they don't understand that there's more to it. There's a relationship that he wants. So now I went off on something else. But I want to mention three things that I like to do three points. I like to do the intro, three points. So I want to mention three things that... Um, are critical if we're going to get through these hard seasons, if we're going to be, we're going to allow Christ to live in us and, and be victorious as he wants us to be in the kingdom way, in the spiritual way, in the biblical way that he sees victory for us. And the first thing, and they're very simple things, you'll be all, yeah, okay, we know this already. But the first thing is prayer. Basically, prayer. And I just mentioned prayer. I asked my daughter, do you pray? Well, yeah. 
do you pray besides praying for your food? Do you pray at other times besides when mommy and daddy are praying with you at night? Do you pray on your own? Uh, no, I haven't in a while. Okay, well then, here we go. Prayer. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, you know the verse, pray without ceasing. Don't cease to pray. Don't give up on praying. Even when you feel like there hasn't been an answer, don't give up on praying. Pray at all times. The Bible says pray at all times in Ephesians 6.18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray anywhere, anytime, for everything. Before anything else, pray. Stop and pray. How many of you, you know, you catch yourself, sometimes you don't have to raise your hand really, but, but you scroll through Facebook and somebody says pray, or I have this problem praying. And you like think about it for a second and then later on you're like, wait a minute, did I pray? I've done it. And I forget and I think, oh, the Lord reminds me, okay, or I need to write it down and really remember to pray. We have to pray. If we say we're going to pray, let's do it. Years ago, you know, when, when we had this, uh, when there were the uh, bombings or shootings were more prevalent and something happened in Paris and it was happening all over, I remember somebody saying, they keep saying pray and it's not working. Somebody posted something or somewhere I saw it and I'm like, well, well, are you praying in the name of Jesus first? I mean, because you can send up a whole lot of prayers. But if you're not praying in the name of Jesus to the one great I am God, or are you really praying? Are you praying? Are you really praying and seeking the Lord? Do you know how to pray? So we've got to do the prayer. Prayer works. You've got to work the prayer. And sometimes prayer is the work. Prayer is work. And it's worth the doing. We don't know sometimes all that God is doing when we are praying. And sometimes we doubt it. Sometimes we doubt what he's doing. Sometimes we get caught up in all the things we have to do and forget the power that is in prayer, that we have to give time to it. And that's the other thing. Don't just pray. You know, we have the, the before prayer, the after prayer, the middle prayer in our meetings or whatever we do. Or thank you, God, for the food prayer. Uh, you know, I pray with my girls on the way to school. We pray for them at night, you know, before bedtime. Um, and that's important. Those are all great. The fast prayers. The, you know, going through Facebook. Yes, Lord, help that person. Yes, that's important. Scroll through Facebook and find people to pray for and do it. You know, that's important. But also set aside a specific time to pray. You know, it can't, maybe you don't have 30 or 60 minutes every single day. Maybe you don't have, you know, the time, all the time to be, go to a closet or, you know, like the war room. Maybe you don't have it every single day. Get it? Everybody gets busy. But even Jesus set aside chunks of time to pray. Went into the wilderness. He prayed. He went into the garden. He prayed. Set aside times to pray. So a few years ago, when uh, we transitioned from the field, well, seven years ago, from India, uh, and then four years ago, I found myself in Texas, as I already mentioned, Texas. We were there three years, and uh, I was on staff as children's pastor. My first time ever being on staff as a children's pastor. This is the second. <laughs> in Okeechobee, I was children's pastor, too, ministering with my husband. But I was a missionary for 19 years. That was my ministry. I went at 22. I was a missionary in El Salvador, India, other countries. And I did children's ministry, children's evangelism. I trained people to do children's ministry. But I'd never been on staff at a church as a children's pastor. And I was very overwhelmed by that idea. Like, you know, working for the church, for a pastor, working in this team. As missionaries, and Brother Stewart could tell you better than I did, as missionaries, we get a lot of freedom, or at least the way it was set up back then. I don't know now. But, we, you know, you kind of do your own thing. We're, you know, and, and uh, not that we don't work. We work hard. But, you know, you make your schedule. Nobody really is sitting over you. And, say, and, and Pastor Davis doesn't do that. He's like, what are you doing today, Marie? You know. But 
it was just overwhelming. I'm thinking I'm on staff in the United States. I haven't lived here for a while. I'm ministering in the church. And you know, all these families and the kids. We had about 50 kids, 75 kids in the children's ministry there. But I was just overwhelmed. And I thought, God, I don't know if I can do this. My mom had just died four, four months prior. And here I am going to Texas to be a children's pastor. And uh, the Lord said, before anything, pray. When you get to the office in the morning, go and pray. And give me at least an hour. And I'm like, an hour? An hour? You know, I pray and do my devotions at home, but an hour? And, uh, and uh, you know, there's so much to do. And the Lord said, give me an hour. And I find in my life, I don't know how, and you probably will say the same thing if you learn to pray and you've given time to pray, that when you stop and you give 15, 20, 30, 60 minutes, whatever, to prayer, that you have much more time than it seems, that the time that you have just kind of stretches out and you're really able to do more after you've prayed. But in the days you get really busy and you have so much to do and maybe you skip the prayer or shorten it, then maybe you just don't finish what you're going to do and it's like you're scrambling around. And me, I, I, I'm speaking for me, I, I, I don't focus well. But when I give God that time, and, and uh, it just goes much more smoothly. And not only that, but I have time not only to present my own requests and pray for others, but I really have time for God to speak to me. And the Lord would tell me, okay, I, I would pray for needs and whatever, and then God would say, okay, now sit. Just be quiet. Praise the Lord Jesus, talk to me. You were waiting, 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 you know. And then the Lord would begin to speak. Well, sometimes we don't give that time. And we limit ourselves. We do ourselves a great disservice because we have not learned to tarry in God's presence, to wait on Him, to just sit there and be quiet when God wants to speak to us. So in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our tragedies and the things that we're going through, present those to the Lord. Pray to God those urgent prayers, those emergency prayers, those, you know, right now, stop and I'm praying. But also get in the, 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 the times with God. Find a chunk of time that you can give. Put on worship. Get the word. Whatever it is that helps you, get in there and just really give God time. Wait. And he will speak. It's like spending time with our kids. Now, I have one daughter, Charisma, and she, her name matches. You've seen her. If, you, if you've seen her around, she's like, you know, hyper, happy, and just, you know, just full of that charisma and personality and very creative and whatever. And you know how she feels. She wears it right there, right there. You can see. I have another daughter, my Amelia. She internalizes stuff. And she's very, lately, very hard for me to read. I'm more like charisma. Most of the time. Sometimes not. But anyway, Amelia is just, you know, so quiet. She came home from school today in the car. She's like, and I'm trying to talk to her. What's going on, Charisma? What, what's going on, Amelia? Nothing. Amelia. And I'm trying to get her to talk to me. I'm like, I don't know what's going on with her. She won't talk to me. But it's only when I spend more time with her. I give her time. I have to be in the room with her, be with her, and do stuff with her. And then she'll, you know, maybe begin to open up, and I'll begin to find out what's on her mind and in her heart. It's kind of like how it is with God. Not that he's trying to hide from us or play games or whatever, but he wants maybe our heart to be ready to hear what he has to say. Are you ready? Do, can I really trust you with what I want to tell you? Or are you just coming to me, God, I want this, God, I want that. I believe that if every single one of us have that time to listen, God will speak into our hearts. And sometimes he'll speak to us about something that's totally unrelated to me. Wow, isn't that a thought? He'll speak to me about somebody else. And he'll give me a word and say, pray, not necessarily to go and say, hey, look, you know, God told me while I was praying for you. 
But no, he might say, pray for this person. Pray about this or that. And man, those are profound moments when God tells you something. He speaks to you. He encourages you. And he encourages you for someone else. And you can pray and say, hey, I prayed for you. And then that person says, really? Well, God just did a miracle. And I began to see after those times, I would pray over every single family. You know, you don't think you have a lot to pray for. You, you know, an hour's a long time. But when you start naming people and really praying for them and God touches your heart for that person, man, I saw families changed. I saw families changed. I saw kids with behavior issues transformed. I saw miracles happen. Families reunited. There's so many grandparents there in that church, and, and in general, raising grandkids, because there's drugs, there's, there's parents in jail and all of this. And I would pray for those families, pray for those fathers, and, and, and one little boy's father was in jail, and we were praying, praying, and then a few days later, you know, and it's, it, it's on and off with the dad, but grandma came and said, he finally got to see his dad, he got a call, and dad's doing better. And as we prayed together, we joined together, and, and being very uh, intentional in our prayers, and specific in our prayers. God will answer, but we've got to give that time. And also, along the lines of prayer, pray the word. Pray the word. This is something God told, you know, told me to do as well. Like, and, and I feel kind of embarrassed that it happened after I turned 40. You know, I've been a Christian for 37 years. And I had prayed the word off and on, you know, and I knew people were really serious about opening the Bible and just praying the word. But I wasn't committed to it until a few years ago. And Lord said, just open the word and pray. You know, just pray the word. When you're going through something, pray the word. The Bible says in uh, Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when you pray the word, it's in your heart, it's in your life, you're going to be closer to the Lord. It's his word. It's his words, his instructions for life, for guidance. And there's prophecies in that word, prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled that we can say over our children, over our circumstances. Sunday night, when I came up and prayed over the youth, as I was worshiping and getting ready, the Lord reminded me of Joel, and you know it. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know that hasn't happened all yet. It's yet to happen. It is happening, but it's not been fulfilled completely. And I'm not going to be one that's going to sit down and give my children and my youth, or your children and your youth, you know that know this as children's pastor my husband as youth pastor we are committed we are committed to praying and fasting and seeking the lord for this generation these children and these young people and seeing his spirit poured out on all flesh because we have seen the spirit poured out on ourselves god i have seen i have been so blessed to travel to el salvador to india and other countries and see the spirit of god moving in revival and transforming lives i've seen god's holy spirit poured out on young people who were gang members who had come to outreaches we did in El Salvador to, with grenades, with weapons to destroy, to kill. And they've been transformed right on a street, on the corner of a street, alcoholic set free. The Spirit of God is moving. If you think He isn't and He hasn't and He won't on our young people right here in this church, in this area, then you're missing something because He is going to move. As we pray and we seek and we speak that word, don't give up. You don't know what to pray. You don't know what to say. You get too frustrated about your kids or somebody else's kids or your grandkids or your family. Open up the word of God and let God's word pray through you. Speak it because it will edify your spirit and just like it did whenever Jesus was in the desert and that devil was playing chicken with him too. Jesus spoke the word and as he did the devil finally shut up. The devil finally shut up and we've got to shut that voice up with the word. So God said pray the word. Sometime 
in the middle of COVID, you know, this psalm was going around, Psalm 91, and you know, it's a simple song. Psalm, he that dwelt in a secret place in the most high shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And we, it's even a song, you know. And somebody said, pray this over your family. And I was like, okay, that's nice. I already prayed the word, you know, because I've been doing a couple years. And the Lord said, no, pray that over your family. Pray that over your church. And we began praying it over our church. We were in Okeechobee and, and during our prayer times and praying it over my children. And uh, I believe it's kept us. I mean, we did have COVID. My daughter, Amelia, and I had it. It was a mild case. Thank the Lord. It was a mild case. And, um, but anyway, the Lord has protected and sustained us. And you can feel the power when you begin to pray his word. It just wells up within you that truth. Pray it. It is relevant. It's living and active. So pray the word of God. So prayer is important. The next thing, praise. Praise. This is one thing I really think that, that our culture, our society today, even the church, is missing out on. Just praising God. Praising God. The Bible says in Philippians, do everything without murmuring and complaining. Praise or murmuring and complaining, what do you think we're hearing and feeling more of lately? If you had to put it on a scale, what do you think? In our world, in our society, in the secular culture, but in the Christian world. What do you think? What's heavier? Is there more praise? Is this more praise? Or is there more of the murmuring and complaining? So, in one of my prayer times, also a few years ago, as I was, you know, praying to the Lord and talking to him about some stuff that I was not happy with, maybe some stuff. You know, you have stuff. We have stuff, right? We have issues. Everybody's got something. And we bring it to the Lord, and we, can, you know, it turns out that we're complaining sometimes. I'm praying about this, but has it ever really turned into a complaining session? Like with you and God? I mean, or is it just me? You know, you can start complaining, and you start being negative, and God this, and that, and God, you're not answering this person, that, and if this would just, and God, I don't know what to do. And so I had been going on about some stuff, and the Lord finally just said, hey, that's not getting you anywhere. So what I would like you to do, because I started praying uh, uh, James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So as I started praying more uh, and really wanting to intercede more, I said, and, and, and pray for the needs of the kids and the people around me that I'm ministering to, I said, God, help me to pray effective prayers. I don't want to just sit here for an hour and waste every minute. I want my prayers to be effective. I want to see miracles. I want, to, I want to have them avail much, and I want them to avail much where I can see it. I don't want to just wait and somebody say, well, she died. She doesn't know, but she'll know in heaven. No, God, I want to have effective prayers right now, and I want to see miracles happen. And so the Lord said to me, I want you just to praise me. Praise can be a prayer. Praise can be part of your prayer. Praise is important. So take the time and praise me and, and give me thanks for who I am. Just celebrate me for who I am, not for what you're waiting on me to do because I have never changed. I am still powerful. I am still the Almighty. Just worship me for who I am. And the Lord reminds me of, uh, you know, Paul and Silas in the prison. You know, they went to jail for their faith, for preaching the gospel, for being obedient. My goodness, God, I was obedient to you. I did all this for you. I was faithful to you, and you put me in prison. I mean, how, what, what would most of our culture nowadays do in a prison for God? Oh, God, I don't understand. I don't know how to understand how this happened. Paul and Silas didn't miss a beat. They didn't waste any time. Shackled, they praised God. They were singing hymns. They were praying to God. 
And when they did, the walls fell. The earthquake happened, the walls fell, and they ran right out of there real quick. No. They were so in awe of the presence of God and what had happened. Wow, praise God. They just were praising even more. And the jailer got saved and his whole family in the midst of a prison, in the midst of a worst-case scenario. Besides, you know, dying, you know, they were in prison. But they praised him. And the Lord said, my people need to learn to just put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In Isaiah chapter 61, it talks about the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Sometimes my soul just needs to worship. Sometimes I just need to worship the Lord. I come heavy. I come discouraged. And, I, and, and the older I get, the harder it is to face the discouragements. Because we do pray. We pray and we fast. We pray and we fast a lot. And we want to see God move. And when it doesn't happen, because the signs of the times, I tell you, God never lied. God hasn't lied to us. If we read his word and we soak it up, we'll find out that he's told us about all this stuff that's happening. That he said that in this world you will face many trials and sufferings, but take heart, I have overcome them all. That's what we're teaching the kids. We taught them last Sunday. We're talking about don't worry. It's not perfect. It's going to be hard. We're not, we're not back there telling them, oh, give Jesus your heart. You're just going to be happy, happy, happy. You're safe and you're not happy. I mean, you know, it's not all that. We've got to teach them the truth now and prepare them. It's going to be hard. God never lied to you. I don't want my daughters when they get older and say, Mommy, this isn't right. You lied to me. No. There will be suffering. There will be trials. But if you can get out of yourself and worship Him in those times, some of the greatest joys that I have felt have been in the worst moments of life. Like when my mom was sick, when she died. Unbelievably, the Lord gave me a song. It was a, I love Tornwells. I'm going to see him next week. Yay for my birthday. Anyway. Tornwells, there's a song that the Lord gave me, God of the Hills and the Valleys. I don't know if you've heard it. It's an upbeat song. And uh, a friend of mine wanted me to give me a sad song. And he said, listen to this song. And, and it was like a really sad song about death. I'm like, I don't want to listen to that right now. <laughs> that, no, not comfort me. That, that wasn't my style. But this song, it was a song of praise. God, you're the God of the hills and the valleys. In my life, I've seen some good times. I've seen some bad times. But God, you have been in every single moment. In every single moment, you are there. When Amelia's having a rough night, her legs are bothering her, it, it's numbness. She feels numbness and tinging and burning in her knees and her toes, and she'll do this, and she'll get really upset, and, you know, and I'm holding her, and I'm rubbing her, and I'm trying to comfort her. I turn worship music on. I turn worship music on. Worship music. She loves the song Promises. Your promises. You're faithful. Because I want that in her mind, in her heart. I want her to be able to sing worship, and I hear every now and then, it'll come out of her mouth. That's the thing that's going to set inside her spirit. And that's the thing that's going to lift her up when she's discouraged. That's the thing that's going to get her through life. Learning to praise God and worship Him through every circumstance. Because He will touch our heart. He will encourage us. And sometimes the greatest thing that He does is not something physical, material that we see. The kingdom work is not about the physical, the temporal, the things that we see and feel. It's about what is deep inside of us. A change of our heart and our spirit bringing us closer to God. So we must praise Him. We must praise Him not just when we're in church. You know, I think there's people, it's kind of like, you know, when you go to sports, you know, people come to church, and uh, it's easier to worship when we're together with other people. We sing the songs. We feel something like, yeah, yeah, that was great. I felt great. I loved that song. Woo, go team. You know, and it's kind of like that. There's people who come to church, and they come for this feeling they get. But they haven't really bought in. 
They haven't really given in. They haven't given it all to the Lord. They're kind of still holding back, but they come for something because they feel a little something in the worship. They feel a little something, the smile and the love of the people, but they haven't yet given it all over to God and really experienced that personal relationship, which is probably evidenced in life when they walk out the door. Because a person who has really loved the Lord and is worshiping at them in spirit and in truth has experienced God, that will show in your day-to-day walk. There will be praise on your lips, even when you're just at a grocery store, even when you're at work and a co-worker is irritating, you can sing a praise to the Lord because you know that he is with you. It's kind of like, you know, watching football. Some people are Super Bowl watchers. Oh, I love Super Bowl. Do you love the Super Bowl? Are you watching it? Or are you just getting together with everybody like because there's emotion, it's hyper, it's food, and it's exciting? Sometimes it's like that with God. We're not really falling in love with God because we're we're only praising him when we're in church with other believers because it feels good and it's exciting. The proof is in when we're in the, in, alone in our home, alone in our car, alone in our situation, when we can praise God through everything and experience his presence right there. That can be for every single individual. He wants that, to be with us in every situation. The final thing, we're going to get through this, this get rid of the devil staring down our face and playing chicken. We've got to persevere. Perseverance. That's in the Bible. Got to persevere. It's, that's, a, that's a hard word. Do you know what it means? I looked up the definition. Continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little or no prospect of success. Perseverance sounded good until I read that. Little or no prospect of success. What? Why am I going to do that? I can't promise success. I mean, that's in the Bible. James 1, 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy and trials of many kinds. That doesn't seem to go together. But consider it pure joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. What are some things that we say about the generation, the younger generations coming up? Would we say they're mature and complete? I mean, they get a bad rap, but I don't think it's entirely their fault. You know, we see young people who can't commit to a job. Persevere in life. They can't persevere to finish, to, to complete a job. There's a place down on South Florida, I think it's a Wendy's or Checkers, that's hiring and it says work, work today and get paid today. Work today and get paid today because people might not come back tomorrow, right? We have a generation of people who are not committed to anything. Much less are they going to persevere in a relationship with God. We've got a generation of quitters. We've got some that don't even start. Because they don't know how to do life. They don't know how to do life. We've got to teach our young people. We've got to teach our children. It's hard. Not everybody gets a trophy. And we laugh at that idea, but it's true. And, and, I, and I think, you know, we discipline our children. You're not supposed to discipline them. You're supposed to reward the good stuff they do. But not, this is in the schools. This is what we're supposed to do. Celebrate the good things they do. Deflect from the bad things, just kind of just bring them to something good. Don't pay much attention to it. This is what some people believe. If everything's supposed to be good, how are they going to handle the fact when they realize that they're not that good? That they're not that successful? 
that they can't do everything. They don't do everything right. Not everybody's going to like them. Not everybody's going to say, hey, yay, you messed up there, but great. But it's true. It's kind of, we, we kind of laugh, but it's true. Our kids don't know how to persevere through trials. They want to give up and quit quickly. We've got to know how to persevere. It's a biblical word. Again, God didn't lie. God didn't lie. So we can't lie. We can't hide it. We can't keep it. We can't just go to, I can do all things through Christ. And not mention the part that Paul said, he's suffering. He learned to suffer. He learned to, yes, I can suffer too. I can endure. I can persevere because Christ strengthens me. And wh why can we do this? Because we know the world ultimately is not our home. This ultimately is not our home. And the kingdom of heaven is closer and closer every day. We have to persevere because Jesus is closer and closer to us through it. We are closer to him. And through that relationship, through persevering, through praying, through praising him, through persevering, through all of it, God strengthens us. And he uses us. He makes us better. Pastor mentioned it Sunday, I think, in his message. It, things that make us better, they make us bitter. We've got to let it make us better. There's enough bitterness in the world. There's enough murmuring and complaining in the world. And I think that's why some of our prayers aren't answered, because our prayers turn into complaining sessions. And God's not the, the complaint department. He's the prayer department. He's the one to pray. Pray. Pray for people. Pray for blessings. Pray for our generation. Pray for the ones that are, that are messed up, the ones that are making you angry, the ones you feel are making all the bad choices in society, the reason that society's wrong. Pray for them. Persevere in prayer and don't give up on them because God hasn't. If he had given up, Jesus would already come back. If it was done, he would already come back. We have to persevere. We have to get up. Now, sometimes we all get discouraged. We all need a break. You know, life is hard. You know, it's not always easy to persevere. But what do we do in those times? Take a break. I remember when I was a missionary, um, and, and, uh, I was, man, I got sick. In India, I got sick, Brother Stuart. I got sick a lot. Did you get sick a lot in India? Maybe not. You were there forever. I had parasites. I had conjunctivitis. I had amoebas. I had malaria. I had typhoid. I didn't have tuberculosis. That's one thing I didn't have. A lot of people around me had it. I had all kinds of stuff messing up my body, my immune system. And that attacked me spiritually, phys physically. And, and, and I got depressed. I had anxiety. My grandmother passed away, you know. And then a best friend of mine passed away. And I had to deal with that. And uh, there was just so much going on. I was tired. I was heavy. I was burnt out. I was burnt out. I wanted to quit. I did. I, I reached a moment and said, I don't even know if I can be a missionary anymore. And I'm not right now, but that's not why. I mean, <laughs> that, at that time, um, it was different. But I, I, want, I, don't, I wanted to quit. I thought, I'm so tired. I just needed a break. And I, and I took a little break. I, I got counseling. I got medical treatment. My doctor found a parasite in my body that was causing a lot of stuff. And I got treatment. And I got better. And I, and I prayed. And I, and I took a break. But I got back up. There's some people that are sitting down and they're not getting back up. There's some people that are taking a seat, they've given up. And you and I that are here, that are praying, we need to pray for them. We need to lift them up. We need to say, hey, brother, come on. Come on, sister, let's get back in. Get back in. Get back in the race. The devil's just playing chicken. We already won. Come on, you can't run. Let, let me pick you up and let's run together. That's why I believe in the church. I believe in the church because I'm not about an individual church. I go when I need a blessing. I go when I need a prayer. I'm there for you. I'm there for the family because the church was my family when, the, when my dad left. We went to church. 
We had people that prayed for us, encouraged us. I believe in the church. I believe we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to persevere together. There are times when we are weak, and we have to hold each other up. And here's the ultimate reason why we have to be strong, why we have to persevere, because our mission is not complete. The Great Commission is not complete. And I tell you, when we've been back in the States for seven years, and I would be overseas in a heartbeat. I can't snap well. Anyway, I would be in a heartbeat. If God said go, I would go. Bags packed, everything would be hard. I don't have a house. We don't, we don't own a home. I tell my husband, I don't care. I don't own a home, you know, whatever. We're not tied down really to a lot of stuff. I'm not saying I'm leaving. We're here. We're going here. But I'm just saying, I love missions. I love being a missionary. But this is a mission field. This is a mission field. The more that I'm here, the more that I realize, when I go to sub at schools, because I sub, I hear kids, they don't know Jesus. They don't go to church. Did a Bible clubs in Texas. I hope to do Bible clubs here in Lakeland at some point. But when we were doing Bible clubs in Texas, more than once, one little girl said, I can't buy, I said, why do you come to Bible club? Because I've heard about Jesus, but I really don't know who he is. Texas! There's so many, on every corner there was a church in Cleburne, Texas. You don't know who Jesus is. There's so many people, neighbors you have. They don't know who Jesus is. You say, oh no, come on, they know Jesus, they know what. No, they don't. They don't. It's evident by how mad some people are at the church because of what people in the media say and they have no clue. Because the devil has blinded their eyes. They're lost. In the United States of America, what was, what was maybe still is, one of the greatest missionary sending countries. One people all over the world, churches and countries that are in revival because of missionaries sent from here. But yet your own neighbor might be a Muslim or a Hindu or an atheist. Your own neighbor might think that God hates them because of their skin color. They might think you hate them because of your political party. And you represent God, so you must be evil. There's so much confusion about who Jesus is because the devil's trying and it seems like he's got the upper hand. But you know the proof that he doesn't? You. You. You and me. We can be the living proof that there is a true God, <laughs> that his name is Jesus, that if he is the Savior, that he is Lord, that he is powerful. Because he's evident in you and me. We are the hands. We are his feet. We cannot give up. We cannot give up. We cannot sit down and stay there. We've got to keep running. We've got to run and we've got to beat the devil down. The devil is not a, a, attacking you because he wants to kill your physical body. The devil is not attacking you because he wants your house or your car or your job. You know, I hear people get up and preach all the time, oh, the devil, but God's got this job for you and don't let the devil take it. The devil doesn't care where you work. The devil cares about the soul that walks by you every single day. He cares about the neighbor that you're too distracted to talk to. He cares about the loved one that you're about to give up on and you shut up about because you're like, they're not going to listen. He cares about the influence that God has called you to have in this world as a soul winner. That's what the devil is about. But we make it about my job. 
my career, my health, my sanity, me. And I always submit to you tonight that becoming a self-absorbed culture, that making it all about the individual has been the greatest detriment to our American church. Making it about what I can get today from God. Instead of going in and saying, God, what can I give? We have to have something to persevere for. I tell you, when I was single, I went through depression, I went through anxiety. I had fibromyalgia I was diagnosed with. When I got married and I had my girls, a game changer. And I don't know how parents these days can give up their kids, neglect their kids, abuse their kids, abandon their kids, and leave them to be raised by somebody else. I don't know how the drugs can be better than having your children. Because man, I have a purpose now that if I don't pick myself up for anything else, I'm gonna pick myself up for my daughters. I'm going to pull myself together for them because I want them to have a chance in this life. And I'm telling you, we have spiritual children too. We have spiritual children too. I know my daughters are important. My husband, my family's priority, but man, I know that souls that God wants me to reach. I know the children I minister to every Sunday, they're important to God. Who are you ministering to? Who is in your, your realm of influence? Fight for that. Persevere. Pray. Press in. Praise God. Seek Him. Don't give up your fight because you're winning. Your fight is going to bring somebody else to Jesus. That's why the devil's fighting so hard. That's why. Because we do have influence. Because we do have purpose. Because the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. He knows he's lost. But man, he's hitting and he's trying to knock us down. Don't let him do it. Get back up. Find somebody if you feel like you can't get back up on your own. Pray for me because I've got doubts. Don't hide the doubts. Don't hide them. Don't hide them and sit there and say, I'm not getting anything. God's not doing anything, so I'm going to go. No, tell somebody. Be honest. Let somebody pray for you. And find somebody else. They're not in church. They're missing. Call them. How are you doing? We've got to be there for each other. We've got to keep going because people around us are depending on it.